This morning's reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 1 through 26. Again, that's Mark 8, 1 through 26. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanatha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Well, good morning again. So glad you're here as we open uh, the God's Word together. It's powerful even just to hear it read. The Word of God is living and active even when it's spoken and read. That's one of those important parts of your week is when we sit down together and God's Word is just read out loud. It is living and active. We say here that God still speaks today through His Word at Bethany Church. And when we open God's Word, He speaks. So that's what we do now as we come together. I'm glad to be back in the book of Mark. We've been talking about other topics. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had our Hope for the Oppressed series. I wanted to just let you know, if you missed either one of those or both of them, we, we thought we'd put some out on CDs, and so they're out at the counter today. If you missed either of those, I encourage you to grab one or two of those and listen to them. We did a little two-week series, Hope for the Oppressed, Discovering God's Heart for the abused and afflicted. But today I'm uh, looking forward to jumping back into Mark, which you've been going through for the past few months, back into the Gospel of Mark. We're coming to the conclusion of really the first half of Mark, and in particular next week is we're going to hear Peter's great confession about who Jesus is, who he thinks he is. Uh, coming to the conclusion of that first half next week, this fast-paced, remember, action-packed gospel uh, we'll do that next week with Peter. Um, and after that, Jesus is really going to make a beeline for the cross in the Gospel of Mark. That's really what takes place, is where we're headed over these next couple months. So as we resume this Mark series after a three-week break, let's remember the main message of Jesus' ministry that Mark wants us to know and remember as well. As you remember back in chapter one weeks ago, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He came preaching the arrival of this kingdom. That's the main message and calling all to repent and turn from sins and trust and believe in Jesus. And our call and mission is no different today. We've been called to that same mission as we are committed at Bethany Church to helping people follow Jesus. That's why we exist. Well, as you think about your life, what are some of the tedious things in your life? A lot of things. Well, the tedious things in your life that you have to do over and over and over again. Repeat. Re repetition is what I'm getting at. What are some of those things, if I was to ask you or think about, and many of them are by, well, usually they are by necessity because that's why we do them over. What, what are a couple of the repetitive routines that you have that drive you nuts? Is it mowing the lawn? Was that cleaning the bathrooms? I think I heard, yeah. I was going to say cleaning the counter, but yeah, bathrooms, laundry, getting gas, some of you changing a diaper, many times a day with that one, changing a diaper. Yeah, it's lots of fun. Well, as much as we don't like to do a lot of these things, we know that the repetition, the act of doing something over and over again makes it second nature, doesn't it? You repeat something. So much so, I think there was a time when I could change a diaper half in my sleep, uh, half asleep with the lights off and just, you know, one-handed probably at one time. You, done it, you do it so many times, right? Repetition is the mother of learning, someone said. Repetition's the mother of learning. You know, when you change 17,000 diapers, what's one more? Right? 
For me, I get annoyed with my dirty glasses. Any wear glasses like that? It's like, I, it's a thing you got to do over and over again to clean up. I don't take the time to clean them until I realize I'm talking to you and there's like a haze. It's like, is it me or is there a fire in here? You know, that haze that happens and you have to take, I have to take them off and clean them and repeat it over and over again and wipe them and you can never quite get them clean enough. There's always one spot right there, isn't there? Repeat them again so I can see. Well, how about your spiritual life? Your soul now. Your heart. Sometimes, I shouldn't say sometimes, pretty much all the time in our spiritual life, we need to see things and hear things repeated and taught over and over again before it sinks in and we can actually see the light. See the truth. See the error of our ways, maybe. We have to. I am, I can be a slow learner. Thick-headed is the phrase, is that it? Maybe you have felt that too, or you're thinking you, somebody next to you, or you know, yeah, yeah. We're all slow learners. And the thing is, disciples were too. The disciples were slow learners too. Today we're going to see Jesus repeat a miracle, aren't we? If you were here a couple weeks ago, a few, uh, or a month back or so, you, you were here when he fed thousands, 5,000 by multiplying food. We're going to see Jesus repeat a miracle again. And in his compassionate miracles we're going to see today and his straightforward teaching, we're going to see that Jesus keeps repeating and staying on point until the disciples and you and I will see. He keeps on doing it. That's what he's doing. We're going to look through today four clear lenses we're going to call them, keeping with that theme, four clear lenses this morning to see the bread of life, Jesus, the bread of life. Really, they're, they're, they're four little short episodes that Mark ties together on purpose, intentionally now, as you heard them read this morning. So grab your outline, hopefully you have it there. Your Bible is open to Mark 8, as we're going to look, our first clear lens is this one. In this repetition, Jesus has purpose in repetition. But the disciples we're going to see in this first story, they just see a dilemma. As we talked about just a few chapters back, in chapter 6 and 7, that Jesus fed 5,000 people with bread and fish. And now we see a repetition again with the feeding of uh, uh, 4,000. And there's a lot of similarities and parallels between the stories, much more than just the, the miracle of bread. There's the large crowds that are fed. Right after that, in both stories, there's a boat trip in both stories. After that, in both stories, there's a discussion about bread. Jesus and the disciples talk about bread. After that, there's in both stories a miraculous healing. And then a significant conversation about who Jesus is. And that's, that's next week for us. But we, we had it in the feeding of 5,000 as well. They're almost identical in what happens, not just in the feeding, but everything around these stories is almost parallel. Mark lays out an almost identical, repetitive parallel. Why? Well, number one, they're two different historical events. I believe that. Uh, though some scholars have tried to say, eh, it was just one event. They got the details messed up. It's just fuzzy, you know. It was really only one event. But I don't think that's the case. Even Jesus knows there are two separate events when he says this from Matthew. 
And do you not remember? We're going to see this today. When I broke the five loaves, the 5,000. So obviously even Jesus thought himself and knew that these were two separate events. Remember, guys, I've, I've done this before. We've, we've seen this before. You've seen this before. And there's clearly differences too, though, even though the similarities are there. There's differences in the detail between these two stories. But Jesus has a purpose in his repetition. The disciples, they, they just see another dilemma, another challenge, another problem that they, they don't have the resources for when they say this from Matthew 8, 4. How can one feed these people? How can we feed these people with, the bre- with, with bread here in this desolate place? There's their dilemma. But it's a little different, I think, this time. This is not the skepticism uh, of the feeding of 5,000 because, of course, they remember Jesus could do something. I think here it's, it's just a confession of, of helplessness. Again, they feel helpless with Jesus and where he's taken them. Jesus, you, you know, we can't do anything here. And again, you've talked about feeding this large group of people. We can't do anything here. He had a purpose for this. So let's look at a couple of Jesus' purposes for repeating, for repetition here. Here's our first one. Jesus has a repeating pattern of compassion. He's compassionate again. Jesus has this repeating pattern of feeding because he's a compassionate man. He's a compassionate Savior. Look at chapters 8, 1 through, through 3 with me. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called the disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. There it is. Because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. And some of them even have come from far away. He absolutely focused, even in the middle of this big teaching time, on the details in the lives of those around him. The thousands crowding around him. It's the same way he is with you. Jesus looks on you with compassion. And we must need to hear it again because he repeats stories like this all the time to show how compassionate he is. When he looks at your life, when he looks at you, he has compassion. We project so many emotions onto God, don't we? We project so many, I just know it, I know this is the way he's looking at me. I know this is what God's thinking right now. Really? Do you? We do that. We project onto him. And when he looks on compassion in your weakness, in your need, that's what he's doing here. Disciples, they're hungry. It's been three days. They'll faint if we send matter. We got to do something, guys. He sees that they've been with him three days. Three day long sermon. He can do that. He's Jesus. He's Jesus. He can preach that long, and he was the greatest teacher that ever lived, and so they're there with him. He cares. He provides because he cares. And these people, as we see in the story, they're satisfied. There's more than enough left over, isn't there? You know, we do not have, because we do not ask sometimes. We don't ask because we forget, don't we? You and I forget, and we need it repeated again, that Jesus is even concerned with your daily bread. The smallest details in your, your weakness and the trial you're going through. We have to hear it again. 
He's concerned. Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask because we forget that He is the compassionate Savior, not however many times we've projected and put on to Him what we believe Him to be. Here again, He's compassionate. And He's full of compassion for you. That's how He looks at you. Compassionate. When was the last time you just sincerely said to Jesus, because you knew He was compassionate, Jesus, I need help. I need help right now. Please help me in your compassion. Think about that. When was it for you? He's compassionate and he hears you. That's the first thing I think Jesus wants to repeat and show us. Here's the second one. He has a repeating purpose for teaching here. He repeats it repetitively because he's got a purpose in wanting to teach them. Jesus and then Mark now in his recording of similar events, they have a purpose to teach us through repetition. Remember what I said, uh, repetition is the mother of all learning. When we hear something uh, again and again, or we remember about Jesus again and maybe what he's done in our life in the past again and again, it helps us trust him in the present. When we think about the past ways God has worked, or in our own personal life, when we think again and again about the past, it, it, it catapults into the present and helps us in the present. We're like the disciples who we're going to see in a couple, this couple minutes. We're so prone to forget. We've got this spiritual uh, smorgasbord in front of us, right? And in Jesus Christ, and we get hung up on one slice of bread. We're like them. We're like them too. We only see the physical. We only see what's right in front of us. You and I need repetition to remember the spiritual realm, the spiritual world, the spiritual battle even maybe that's taking place around us or in our lives right now. We need repetition for that. And Jesus is again revealing, again, through the miracle here, some very key uh, spiritual truths and points. He repeats them. Here's a few on the slide we're going to look at. Here's the things he wants us to repeat again. He wants them to see, hey, I'm doing another miracle about bread because I'm the bread of life. And you forget that, disciples and the people. I'm doing it again. Uh, Jesus is, bread of, uh, is the bread of life for the Gentiles, too, is the truth we're going to see. That's why he repeats it again. And here's the third one. He's more than enough for us. These are, some things, these are some things he wanted the disciples to grasp by doing a repetitive miracle. First, he wants them to grasp again the reality that he's the bread of life. It would help them if they were to grasp it. It would help them understand his ministry, who he was, and why he came and what he was going to do. After the feeding of the 5,000, John in his gospel records this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. They died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's what John records. And so Jesus does another miracle again to help them, to help them see that, to make the clear connection to the bread, physical bread, to remind the disciples of this truth, that his body would be given for us. And that he would be, as if we feed upon him, a spiritual food that would 
help us live forever and not die. Those are truths we needed to see again and that we need to see that he is the bread of life. That's why he repeated it. They couldn't grasp that. That wasn't the kind of king they wanted. I mean, they were even freaked out. Some accused Jesus of cannibalism. I mean, you look at his words, like, okay, <laughs> I kind of see that there. He didn't necessarily mean literally, but his body that would be given as we feed on him in faith. What was another reason? Uh, another reason was he was the king for Gentiles too. They had to hear that. They had to know that because they didn't believe that. He, that he was their Jewish king. The 5,000 was for a Jewish audience. We get to the 4,000, it's mostly Gentiles here now. And they actually wouldn't really get this truth until even later in the book of Acts. That he's not only a king for the Jews, he's not only the bread of the life for the Jews, he's the bread of the life for the whole world. That's why he repeated it again. And finally, he's more than enough for them. The disciples saw a dilemma there. They saw a problem. We've run out again. This isn't going to work well. They're hungry. What do we do? They saw a dilemma, and that's what we do too a lot. We doubt whether God can come through again. Does he, can he, does he have enough for me, or is he finally done with me? Can he deliver me again? Can he truly save us? And again, they have these seven baskets of overflow, which probably points to this, the perfect number that seven represents. And they were giant baskets in this story. Giant baskets. And he does it again to show, hey, I've got enough for you and the whole world a million times over. I'm here. And I've got enough. Look at the excess. Look at the extra. He could have gotten it right down to the exact number of bread needed, couldn't he have? It's obvious. He did it. He's Jesus. He did it on purpose to teach it again. Here's what... Uh, well, they came hungry, right? They came hungry and about to faint, but Christ's power was greater than their hunger. And here's what Kent Hughes says about it. He's a, a theologian pastor. He said, whatever the Lord has given us, there's still far more for him to give us. Our souls, so to speak, are elastic. They're elastic, stretchy. The more we eat, the more they expand. The more they expand, the more we're able to eat. None of us has ever eaten as much as he wants to give us. We're meant to hunger and to eat. Listen, disciples, he says by this grand miracle, I am sufficient for the whole world and all its need. Hear it well. In other words, Jesus is saying, feed on me. Feed on me. Stretch your soul. And as you do, your soul will stretch. It's not a good recipe for your actual physical diet, but it is for your soul. Gorge on Jesus is what he's saying. It's good for you to do. Because as your soul expands and grows, there's more to fill up. And he'll never run dry, run out. That's what he's saying by teaching this again, that we have abundance in him. So Jesus had reasons for the repetition. Mark did too for recording it. That's our first lens, our first clear lens, the repetition in teaching for us. But here's our second lens we're going to look at today. Here's another one. We go on to this second little story, too, and here's this clear lens that we all need to see. Skeptics we're going to see in this story demand signs with the purpose of never seeing. What do I mean by that? Skeptics demand signs with the purpose of never seeing. Like with the feeding of the 5,000 story, right again after this one, there's a, 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 another debate 
we've, call, we've been calling them this, another debate with the special counsel for the investigation of young rabbis. They come back again. They're back again. The Pharisees come and argue with him. They've already accused him. Think back in our, in our gospel. They've already accused Jesus of doing the works of Satan. They've looked at him and said, you're, you're working for the wrong team, Jesus. You're working for Satan. They've already accused him of this. Now, these, these Pharisees that come, they've already seen him do a number of miracles. And yet now here they come again and say, we want a direct sign from heaven, a direct sign from God the Father. They're testing Jesus again, like they always do. But this is not the same hard-heartedness of Jesus' disciples that he's going to talk about in just a minute. It's, it's not that. Or you and I as followers of Jesus, when we just say like we got a thick head and we just can't get it and we need repetition to learn and grow. This is different. This is different than that. This is a direct assault on Jesus. And their goal is to really discredit him with the people. Discredit him. They have no intention here of a heart change. Like, Jesus, if you'd only show us one more miracle, then we'd really believe. That is not anywhere in these Pharisees' hearts. They have no intent of seeing him for who he is. They're testing an unbelief, not faith. It's different. And Jesus knows as the sovereign Lord the hardness of their hearts. And what does he do for the second time in this gospel? He sighs. He sighs again. His emotions are overwhelming him as he sighs at their stubbornness to believe, to see. He sighs again. Their, their deaf ears, their blind eyes. And he says, no sign will be given. Matthew and Luke accounts record that he says to them, accept the sign of Jonah, which points to his resurrection. He says, no sign is going to be given to this generation. There will be a big enough one called the resurrection. He says, no sign. Is this you today? Do you listen and have friends or family who have brought you here and you're always saying, yeah, but what about that? And what about that? Yeah, and what about what it says there? Do you seek just one more sign to know that Jesus is Lord without ever actually having the intent to see it? And how does Christ, how does he respond? He left got into the boat again and went to the other side. And it's one of the most tragic moments in the Gospel of Mark. He sighs. He's overwhelmed with grief at the hardness of these hearts. And he walks away. It's ultimate and it's devastating. Jesus turns his back on the hard-hearted Pharisees who wouldn't be humbled under his teaching and his claims and his miracles. And you know what he does? He sails away. He sails away. But that is ultimately what he will do to each and every person who continues in hard-hearted disbelief.
Every person on this planet now, every person who's come before, every person that comes after, there will come a time when there will be no more signs. No more signs. No more repetition. No more holding out the branch of free grace of the gospel. Jesus will sail away from you. He will sail away. He will sail away. Don't continue in disbelief. Don't demand one more sign. There's a million of them already. One of them, the resurrection. Don't let them sail away from you. They had this hardness of heart, and Jesus turns his back and sails away, and it's tragic. But what about his followers? What about you and I today if you are one of his followers and you do believe? How do we struggle too? Because we do with deafness, with spiritual blindness. How do you and I struggle with this? Let's turn to our third lens. As disciples too, we too are, maybe it's, a, it's different than the hardness of heart of the Pharisees maybe, but we too, we are slow to understand and we're quick to forget. We are. We were just talking in our Life on Mission class before um, how each and every one of us is, you are, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a missionary. You're called to be on mission and be a missionary for him. And yet how many, we were talking there, how many of us wake up every morning and going, what does God have for me on his mission today? What does God have on mission for me today? Who does he want me to come into contact with today and speak about him? We forget, don't we? We, we have a, spiritual amnesia, you might call it. We do. Now, while the Pharisees were moving, as they were further and further from Jesus in their hardness, even the disciples, as they were growing in faith and understanding, they were still struggling too. They were still struggling too with hard hearts and you might say somewhat blind eyes. There is irony. (laughs) I love that God has a sense of humor. There is irony and there is humor in a situation when the disciples have just seen him multiply loaves and fish and seven giants of baskets of bread left over, and they get in the boat and say, where's the bread, guys? I mean, it's meant to be ironic. It's meant to be a little humorous. And Peter says, I left the basket on the shore. Jesus and his disciples' minds, they couldn't be further apart at this moment now. They get in the boat They've just seen the miracle. They've had the argument. They get in the boat. They go out. Their minds couldn't be further apart. He wants to teach them this great spiritual lesson. He's ready. He's got his words. He just had the the visual lesson with the Pharisees that he can now refer back to. And and they get in the boat with this great spiritual lesson that he wants to see that life is in him. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. And he cautioned them. They got in the boat and they, or they, well, we'll start in 14. Now they'd forgotten to bring bread and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. There it is. They're so far apart. They're concerned with food when He wants them to see this. The disciples feed on Christ. True disciples feed on Jesus. They're miles apart in mind, even though they're sitting next to each other and next to the bread of life in the boat. Their minds are miles apart. And Jesus says these words to them. Leaven, he says. Leaven like yeast, it's a a symbol in the Bible for evil. 
It's a symbol in the Bible that it, uh, show, uh, points to the fact that it only takes a little bit to infect, to, to permeate the, uh, the whole thing. That's why it's a symbol for, for evil. Think of dropping a, um, a, a drop of food coloring in water. That gives us an idea of leaven, how quickly it goes through. He's warning them about the unbelief of the Pharisees and the power-hungry Herod. Those two models, power uh, and, the un- and disbelief. He's warning them that that kind of thing spreads fast. The Pharisees' teaching spreads fast. It's the same for sin in the church. That's why it's so serious. A little bit uh, makes the whole bit go rotten. It spreads. You want a piece of bread they're thinking about, and the bread of life's in the boat with them. They're thinking about a slice of bread, and the bread of life is in the boat with them. He says, feed on me. Believe in me. It's about me, he says. And they go back to the discussion. Oh, we've only got one loaf. And how could you forget the basket, Peter? What are you doing? You know, they can't even think on the same realm that he's in. Their minds are so distracted. They've just seen him for the second time create bread out of really nothing, really. And so Jesus helps them remember with repetition again that the true bread is him. It's our greatest tool to battle unbelief. Repetition. Hear that again. Our greatest tool to battle unbelief is repetition, or you might call it remembering, as we're going to call it today. Or a disciple uses remembering, uses repetition, uses uh, remembering. Jesus is truly frustrated here. Probably uh, on par with really only a couple other times in his Gospels. Maybe the, the turning over the tables and um, as we'll, we'll see him with Peter actually next week, are one of the two other times when he's that kind of frustrated. He's frustrated. He wants to talk about spiritual things here, and the disciples, they just don't get it. You know, guys, I expect this from the Pharisees, but guys, you just saw me for the second time create bread out of nothing. Do you know who I am? That's kind of the, the subtext, the undertones here. Do you remember those old um, Three Stooges reruns? Anybody? Somebody, some of you, yes, I know. I see a hand, yes. All right. They were still showing reruns when I was a kid all the time on TV. They were still on. Um, you know, and I, I was thinking back to when I came to one of these today. I mean, they were just goofy. They were slapstick, weren't they? And there was Mo always would kind of do the repetition of, of knocking them on the noggin or something or on the nose, like, ah, you know, or when they kick one on the, the bottom, you turn around, the other one kick them, you know, you turn around, they do it that way. You know, th- those, those like slapstick kind of repetitive sort of knocks on the noggin. That's what Jesus is doing here. Or you remember that, the old movie, uh, Moonstruck, when she said to Nick Cage, snap out of it! You remember that line from that old movie? That's what Jesus is doing here with these guys, with a bunch of questions. He just rapid fires a bunch of questions at them. Not to shame them, but to help them remember. To teach them. Because it was just a moment ago there on the shore. Here's, here's, here's the question. There's actually nine of them. I combined a couple of them in number seven. But he, here's the questions he used in this format. I, I saw in a commentary this week. I loved it. I was like, I just got to put this up. Here's what he does. Why are you discussing that you do not have bread? Uh, you know, the response, uh, knock on the head. Don't you understand or comprehend in verse 17? Sadly, no. Is your heart hardened, he asks them? Sadly, yes. 
Do you have eyes and not see? Sadly, yes. Verse 18. He goes on, do you have ears and not hear? Yes, sadly, yes. Verse 6, do you remember? He asks. Uh, Apparently not. Then he goes on to address the two different. Remember when I read the five, or fed the 5,000, the 4,000, how many baskets? Uh, 12 and 7? Do you not understand yet? Again, he asks. Apparently not. They are slow to embrace the truth and live out the truth, just like us a lot of times. To hear words of Jesus or think of his promises. I'm with you always. Everything in your life is for your good. Um, uh, trust me and obey. All those promises that we, we, we waffle on and we go, I don't know. Really, Jesus? So what does Jesus do? He helps them remember when they forget. Remember what I've done. Remember who I am. Remember where we've been. Remember what you've seen. Remember what I've said over and over again. They see him working and they are believing, but they're failing to fully understand and fully trust. I think some of them at this point, they've come to to, to believe and yet they still have unbelief. So what does he do? He plays an old rerun for them. How many like to go back and binge watch old reruns on Netflix? I know some of you are in the middle of Cheers, aren't you? It just went on Netflix last year. I know you are. We like to go back and revisit old stories. We know that you know how the movie ends, don't you? But you want to go watch it again, don't you? You want to see it again and see what they said in the last line of cheers on that last episode, like 37 seasons in. I think they had that show. We we like to go back and revisit these stories. Why? It takes us back, doesn't it? We we, we, we relive the moment again. It, It sometimes stokes emotions even again that we liked experiencing the first time we watched it. We revisit the story again, even when we've seen the movie 10 times sometimes. You're saying all the dialogue with it silently as you watch it, you know. We like to do it. One of the best defenses a disciple has is remembering. Remembering the story again. Replaying the reruns of the gospel stories. Not just that, but how God has worked in your life in the past what you know to be true about Jesus, how he's shown up before, how he's delivered you before. Go back and play the rerun. Turn on Netflix in your spiritual mind and play it again. You know, that's why doctrine and theology is so practical too. You hear people say, oh, it's doctrinal. It's too, a little bit too theological for me, you know. Uh, it, 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 it's so practical to have doctrine and to think and meditate upon it. This last week in our men's group, we're reading J.I. Packer, you see it there, a book called Knowing God. Here's what he said about remembering, playing reruns with doctrine and theology. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind, thinking over, dwelling on, and applying to oneself the various things one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. Playing a rerun, really. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let His truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. It's a matter of talking to oneself about God and oneself. It is, indeed, often a matter of arguing with oneself even. 
You've done that. Reasoning with oneself, reasoning oneself out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear apprehension of God's power and grace. In other words, preach the gospel to yourself. That's what he's saying. Play a rerun of what you know to be true, of the story that, where God has delivered before or a scriptural truth that comes to mind. That's why doctrine is so important, why theology is so important, why meditating is on it is so important. We forget in those moments, especially of crisis. Play it over in your mind again. Rehearse and remember the truths you know to be true and live out of that. Argue with yourself if you even have to, even if they look at you and think you're crazy. What is he doing? Arguing with himself. Even those of us who are slow to understand and quick to forget our third lens, we need to remember. So here's our fourth and final one. The blind may grow in grace and faith. We come to our final story of these little four little vignettes that Mark puts together and, and, and puts in one giant little, little package for us today. The blind may grow in grace and faith. And we can't miss the connection here. I hope, oh, maybe you're already seeing it a little bit to now this miracle of a blind man. We can't miss the connection here to this man's physical condition now, a real blindness, which was really prevalent in that era, to the connection, the spiritual connection to the Pharisees who are absolutely blind and the disciples who are even partially still blind, spiritually blind, you'd say to Jesus, who are gradually seeing. Let's read this, this little uh, miracle, because it is powerful, and it's what we're wrapping up with today. Let's look at verse 22 and 26 again. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he'd sit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, well, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, oh, I see people but they look like trees walking. Well, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home to his home saying, do not even enter the village. We get this little story here about this man who's born physically blind because the, the parallel we're to make is that you and I are all born spiritually blind. We're born spiritually blind, totally blind to the realities of the spiritual world. As blind to the realities of the spiritual world as this man was physically blind who can't see a thing in front of him. You could wave your hand like this and he would have no clue you were there. That's the reality. It's true. We look at the world people do and don't know who made it. In fact, we're going to make an argument that nobody made it. It's here by blind chance. Blindness. Blindness. We look at the course of history, and we think there's no author behind that. It's all random, meaningless, just events or fate, whatever we want to call it. We hear our need of, 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 of forgiveness and of a Savior, and we think, that's foolish. Die on a cross? I mean, we, people do this all over the place. Until Jesus does some things. Until Christ does some things in your life. And he does some things for this man here. 
Let's take a look at a couple of them. First thing he does is he compassionately leads again. Again, he's compassionate. Compassionate. He repeats again this heart of love and mercy and compassion that he has as he leads this man. His friends now, the blind man, his friends were the excited ones. His friends were the expectant ones. They bring him to Jesus. He doesn't, partially probably because he, he can't. He's blind. But we see no signs of this man having any spiritual interest or life at all. In fact, we're supposed to see the opposite. His friends bring him. His friends point him in the direction. His friends push him out and go, he, get out there. Go, Jesus, touch him, please. They're the excited ones. They're the expectant ones. The blind man himself shows no initiative. He's passive. He's portrayed that way intentionally. Because just a few in a few chapters, we're going to get a man in chapter 10 who's also blind. And what does he do? He jumps and yells, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Even though he's blind, but not here. Not here. This man shows no inherent faith or spark of faith. No initiative, no inclination towards Jesus. And his friends do one of those um, three stooges. They kick him in the pants out and get out there. Get out there. Go see Jesus. But Jesus actually comes to him, as we see. And that's how it works with all of us. Jesus comes to you. He comes to this man, and he could have healed him instantly, couldn't he have? This is the Son of God incarnate. He comes to this man, but he doesn't heal him instantly. He does it in stages. Kind of like you did with the deaf man if you were here a couple weeks ago. He does it in stages of compassion, stages of progression. Here's why I think he wants to bring this man from no faith to just as an expectant faith as his friends who kicked him in the pants and said, get out there. He brings him along. It's like he's walking the man step by step up the steps of faith and expectancy all along the way. What does he do first, the first step? He takes him by the hand. And he leads them through the city. Imagine the Son of God holding your hand, walking you through the city. Oh, watch out. There's a rock there. Come on over this way. Oh, come back this way. Oh, crowd here. Come on over here. Let's zigzag here this way. He's leading him by the hand. I guarantee at that moment, something started to wake up inside that guy. Where are we going? His expectancy rose. What's he doing? Where, where are we heading? What's going on? Think about the author of the universe now holding and guiding him by the hand. He stirs inside a bit more. What's the second thing he does? He doesn't just walk him. He takes him and he isolates him outside the village. All of a sudden, it's silence. And here this man stands with Jesus. Where are we going? Where are we now, Jesus? I guarantee his expectancy rose a little bit more even. Maybe he is going to do something. Maybe he can do something. His expectations and hope are growing. Jesus then enters into his world, just like the deaf man. Do you remember? He touched the deaf man's uh, mouth and put his hand on his tongue, and we all went, ugh. Well, here Jesus did something a little similar. He takes the man, he spits on the man's eyes and touches them, entering right into the, into the man's world in a very intimate way. I'm going to do something about this. Let me touch the part that hurts. His expectancy rises a bit there even, and actually a lot when he opens his eyes. I, I, I kind of see, I kind of see 
Not just healing his eyes and opening up his eyes, but he begins to open up the eyes of his heart here. Not just his physical eyes, but his spiritual eyes. Like the wipers on the glasses. Step by step, he gives him partial sight. Do you think Jesus messed up? He just, I didn't get enough power that time. You know, a little more. No, this is totally intentional. Absolutely intentional. He heals him in stages and the man looks up and he says, well, uh, now I see men, but they look like trees. The first time ever, probably, he sees something, but it's a little fuzzy. He partially heals him to leave him on the edge of wanting even more. More. His expectancy is now about to explode. He knows, oh, this is like no other person I've ever come into contact with. He's giving this man faith by faith of step. And then here's what we have in 825. You see it popping on the screen. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. And his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. There it is. Repetition. He did it again. He touched him again. We don't see clearly. We need to hear it again. We need to see it again. We need to remember it again. And Jesus does it again. To give this man faith. Yes, of course, there's a moment when each and every one of us, there's a millisecond, I would even say, when each and every one of us is literally born again. When you enter into the kingdom of God as a follower of Christ and move from unbelief to belief. But God sometimes works in these real instantaneous episodes, like with Saul and Paul. Saul to Paul. But others, it's gradual as it plays out. But the bottom line is this. If you believe today, it's because of this. Jesus gives sight. Jesus gives sight. Jesus heals from the first moment to the last. However it was experienced for you, however it will be, whether it felt instantaneous or whether it was a gradual process, from the very beginning of the end, we need the touch of Jesus to see him for who he truly is. And if you do, he has touched you. He has touched you. If you see him today as the bread of life, the living water, the clear revelation of God, the Savior who paid for our sins, if you are a follower of Christ today, use the, I actually have one today. Use the lens wipe. Use, I actually didn't plan that. I just put my hand in my pocket and it was there. Use the lens wipe today. Use the lens wipe of truth. Clear them off. Clear them off. But if you haven't yet, don't let him sail away. Don't let him sail away. Because once he does, there's no more signs. Let's pray. Lord, you are a mysterious, powerful, wonderful worker of truth as you tied these stories that look on the surface like they don't really go together and yet when we unpack them, we see that you are very clearly repeating and teaching some things so that people would see, that we would see, that we need the touch of a Savior. We need the healing hand of the Lord. We need the guiding power of your Spirit to come to see that you truly are the bread of life. In you is found forgiveness. In you is found wholeness. In your sacrifice on the cross, as you gave the bread, you gave your body for us so that in faith we could feed upon it. So Lord, clean the goggles, the eyes of our spiritual hearts today. Let us know that we follow the true risen Lord. 
And today, Lord, I'd even pray for those that are quite not there, those who are looking to see but without the intent of actually seeing. Don't sail away from them, Lord. Give them faith, we pray today. In Christ's name, amen. Let's respond and worship. Could you stand?